That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, Dexit! Pokemon fans go berserk after finding out that you can't catch them all. Edibles are coming to Canada. Do you like brownies, Grandma? Andy fired up Xenoblade Chronicles 2 for the Switch, and Dan goes Dickensian for some French Revolution fun in We the Revolution. EA defends loot boxes as ethically used surprise mechanics, and we also talk Tifa Lockhart's boobs and 25-year-old, 100-year-old Chinese bongs. And we'll also be settling in for our smoke sesh, so stick around for that. Because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy. And with me, as always, the one, the only, the smelling fresh but foul underneath, Dank Dan. Andy, we've received a package here in a transport pod, and it looks like it's a 3,000-year-old Chinese smoking apparatus. Did you, did you order this off of Amazon? I did. I did, in fact, order it off of Amazon. You can order anything there now. For a price? I don't always smoke out of bongs, but when I do, I want it to be smoked out of by somebody's Chinese forefathers 30 generations hence. You know what I mean? I watched Mulan a little while ago, and it feels like the kind of uh, feels like the kind of bong that would awaken your ancestral spirits and send you on a spirit voyage. Boy, I didn't consider that. I, would I? Would you have the, like, intestinal fortitude to, like, take a rip off a bong that is quite possibly haunted? Uh, you know what? I think I would. I think that that's kind of the kind of thing you don't say no to. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of thing where when the opportunity presents itself, you go and meet your Chinese ancestors. Because we're all only, what is it, eight degrees of separation? So we all have Chinese ancestors. I don't know if that's true, but what I do know is if the Wu Dynasty wants to get inside my my soul, uh, probably uh, the Bong Passage is the best possible way. I mean, can we be honest? Yeah. Yeah, and it may have some modern-day applications, like learning to speak Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Step one, rip a fat one. Sip step two, start to learn Mandarin. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you. It would, you know, smoke one bong, learn Mandarin. There's a compelling <laughs> product there. Yeah, I mean, it's better than just learn Mandarin. You know what I mean? The two-step <laughs> process is a little more gentle. I don't know if the learning curve is improved, but my experience is. You know, I started learning Mandarin about half a year ago, and yeah. uh, it is a very difficult language. So it's a tonal. By the way, hey Dan, nice to uh, nice to have you chatting good to here. See this is good to see you, bud. For our loyal listeners, if you've just joined us, this is indeed a podcast specializing in the Ming Dynasty. No, no, it's a podcast about weed and video games uh, at some point. But back to Mandarin, it's a tonal language, which means that saying ma and ma and ma are all three different words, which is just seemingly uncomplex English brain. That just that just blows it right out my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And also, no no English alphabet is, as, at all. Not even a no. little bit. 
Nah, no character-based alphabet. So, yeah, I, I spent some time, you know, with multiple apps, thinking that I was getting somewhere, and I was feeling pretty good about <laughs> it. You know, <laughs> feeling pretty good about it. Um, and then I, you know, have a have a Mandarin-speaking colleague, and I ran a couple phrases by her, and she just laughed. Yeah. So. Yeah, good for a hoot. Next time you're in, uh, you know, Guangzhou province, you won't be leading the uh, you won't be leading the tour. No, I won't be leading the tour. I know just enough to say Zaijian. Pretty good. Pretty good. I pretty feel good. Our, our international draw already already heightening. That's it, buddy. Four whole listeners in China, mainland China. Uh, dipping your toe inside the waters of many languages. Oh God. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought the feeling would be. <laughs> Are you all right? Sorry. Book shelves? Well, something like that. Can please continue. That's I stepped on another rake, eh? <laughs> um, I feel like mm-hmm. that's it's a, a good follow. Dynamic. It's a dynamic podcast. Good foley. Dynamic good podcast we have here. You, uh, while you were taking a, a, a drink of scotch, you stepped on a rake. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> well, listen, we have new, we have, uh, we have new pop filters here on the show, so I can cough and sneeze and nope. hiss wrong as much as I want into this In- thing. Incorrect. Right? Once again, still a nightmare for me to edit out. Okay, going from right here. Dipping your toe inside the waters of another language is such a great experience for reminding yourself to be humble. Um, because uh, when you start to learn Mandarin, uh, keep in mind there are four-year-olds that can speak Mandarin better than you can, and they're also out, outpacing you and your learning pace. So it's a good, it's a good exercise in in becoming uh, rehumbled. Yeah, I really. I really dislike how you frame that, but it's it's very true. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. four four year old Mandarin speaking child, we salute, salute you, you. <laughs> uh, Dan. How you been, buddy? It's been uh, it's been a couple weeks. Been busy times as usual here at the Purple Dungeon Squid. Um, I'm doing just fine. Thanks for asking. Uh, great. Uh, you asked me a question, and then you felt left out, and ask yourself the question back. Um, I'm it. good, man. Like it's been a little bit. It's been a grip since you and I got in front of either the mic or even just like uh, time, any kind of time. I've uh, I've just returned from a little bit of a trip to a farm up north, uh, in which I uh, milk some cows. And uh, yep. and refresh myself on the finer dynamics of uh, German farming practices. And what I've learned is is many things. One of them being my hands, which were once workmen's hands. I spent some time in, in a kitchen, and I've worked as a, a, with some light mechanic duties for a number of years. And what I've discovered is my hands are that of a, like a, a high class lady, like maybe somebody right. who has their steak cooked for them. The farmer Herr Schmidt asked me to do some raking. It's one of my tasks during the day, and approximately three rakes into my job. A flap of my skin was torn asunder off my hand. Just my hand, just the skin on my hand sloughed off as if it were, you know, like angel food cake. Good Lord. So you've got them office worker hands. And by the way, yeah, yeah. a high class lady or man or man. Ladies cook steak too, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they cook lots of steak. Let's be inclusive here um, for sure. It was like rake, rake and shearing of the skin and that's when i realized any cred of like uh, of my like once grizzled hands was gone and they've been replaced yeah. with my my new supple digits are how are your hands uh, grit wise well i'm an office veal dan yeah so uh yeah about the same as yours i'd imagine you and i could probably muster up a manicure together but raking at a farm i think not i think not it's funny 
all I have is four calluses where I do chin-ups. And so there's like four areas of my hand that are protected, but the rest of it's... Just maybe just shut everything up, men's health. Just take it back a notch there. Listen. Where where I do my deadlifts, I've got some calluses uh, growing there, you know, just uh, from all the heavy weights I've been lifting. But listen, the headline here is not Dan is extremely masculine. You know what, man? We let we let off our last podcast episode waxing poetically about baths. So I'm gonna just take this in a different direction. I went into a dirty, smelly local pawn shop. It's not dirty and smelly at all. It's a really nice establishment. But mm-hmm. um, I went pond diving this week, Dan. And guess what I found? Uh, a severed hand that grants I, I wishes, I, but all I, for a, a, a steep price. Your soul. I, I was I was hoping that you would go that direction because it would be really cool. And I always do kind of hope. If I'm in like an antique kind of environment that I will come across some sort of cursed object like that. Maybe not purchase it, but I do just want to see one. Um, anyway, what I did end up getting was a sweet video game haul. Are you ready for this? Let me drum. No, it'll be bad for the acoustics. We won't yeah, drum, don't drum but, anything. No, I won't drum anything. <laughs> but I managed to find for 50 bucks, Dan, 50 bucks. Get this one. You ready? I'm ready. Number one. Number one. Nio for PS4. Number two. Number two. Yakuza Zero PS4. Number three. Rainbow Six Siege PS4. And number four. Super Mario's Bros. U Deluxe for the Switch. All for fifty bucks. I wow. was pumped, man. That's a pretty good haul. That's a pretty good haul. And uh, you know, that's th- two pretty long story-based games. Um, you know, an online multiplayer shooter, and then you know, a sweet party game I can play on the couch with my lady. So I'm uh, I'm over the moon. That was uh, that was great. Now, Andy, were these posted prices, or was this a special like Andy takes the pawn shop owner out for moonlit walk, moonlit uh, moonlit walks prices? Yeah, you know what, man. I mean, like this is it, and and I I genuinely listener. I hope for your sake that you have a friendly local pawn shop. And if you don't, you should maybe scope one out. Because pawn shop dudes, I don't know what it is. Like, I've been to pawn shops all over the country, and I can tell you that 80% of the time, they're just laid-back guys that like looking at cool shit. And, you know, this this gentleman in question who's at my local pawn here, he um, he's a, just a video game fanatic. You know, he's got four TVs, all of which are for sale, set up with various consoles. And, you know, the, the neighborhood kids will come in and just play games with him every now and again. And it's just like it's a heartwarming scene in a small town in Ontario. Um, and then he's got a massive wall of, you know, games from just about every console known to man. You've got PS4, PS3, PS2, PSX, PSP, Vita. There's a little bit of Dreamcast in there. Um, there's a huge amount of Wii, as you might imagine. Um, GameCube, he's always selling really sweet GameCubes. Um, you know, all of the handheld games are there. Um, N64, lots of Super Nintendo, lots of NES. So it's just it's a nice place to be if you just want to go and browse around. But this dude is such a stand-up guy that I go into the shop on Friday, um, just shooting the breeze with him. He says, hey, listen, I got a copy of Super Mario Bros., um, the one that was out on uh, the Wii U, and uh, I've got it for the uh, for the the Switch. And I was like, oh, sweet. You know, it's still 79 bucks, full price over at, uh, over at EB Games. This is his personal copy that he's selling me. I'm like, I'll be in tomorrow to pick it up. He's like, sure, 50 bucks. I come in tomorrow, he's running a sale across the whole store. It's half price games, honors the price, on the, the Mario game, drops that down to 25 bucks, and then all of the other games were 20 down to 10 so you just you really can't lose. Number one, sounds like a stand-up guy. Two questions. Uh, one, how long have you guys been dating, and does your wife know? Yes, long time. 
Okay, great. Great, great, yeah. great. <laughs> I just, I look, you know, it's great, man. Just having like a local dude who knows that you're always down for a Switch game. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, that's, that's an excellent place to be. Because I walk in and immediately it's like any sweet Switch game that's come in for Pawn is coming my way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just scored, I think last time I was there, I scored Wolfenstein for like 25 bucks. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just, a, it's a racket. I mean, every now and again, I have to like suck it up a little and buy <laughs> le- legend legendary fishing or something like that <laughs> sure because there's a sacri- there's sacrifices in every relationship right well, that's true i don't want to be rude he's like oh man i got legendary fishing and i'm like ah dude i don't i mean yeah sure why not sure that'll make a make make a good photo op for the gram yeah and when you said you're always good for a switch game you know it's nice for him to have a customer that he can bring a thing to you know he knows who to bring classic guitars to you're good for switches he knows uh, jimmy the hat's good for any uh uncut cocaine that comes to the door it's important to have a guy yeah oh yeah speaking of jimmy the hat i think i met jimmy the hat today <laughs> i had a real moment this afternoon um so i'm sitting outside the train station and you know you know those characters you can maybe you've maybe you've encountered a person like this before they really want to talk to somebody you know they're, they're sitting down i'm sitting there on my phone answering an email this guy's sitting down he's putting a cigarette in his mouth and he's just looking around to chat with somebody you know you know the type yeah just, just that anxious looking around. Who am I going to talk to? And I'm an open guy. I'm a friendly dude. But we went from him saying, hey, buddy, how's your day going? To him handing me a big ball of hash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me let me restate. He handed you a ball of something. Uh, you're going to need to engage some chemical analysis to know what was truly handed to you. Oh, I know. This is the thing. And it's such a, a brutal thing. I won't consume i love cannabis i won't consume cannabis from like an unknown source being passed off to me somewhere strange um and you know uh, you, you know this is this is uh likely not the most legitimate of of cannabis products in the country given that hash is not yet a legal product to be sold here so i didn't want to be a jerk yeah because let's be honest between you and jimmy um the whatever give me the jimmy the hash i guess that was an olive branch yeah it was an olive branch. really friendly gesture i mean i don't know how we got there he well, first thing he's visiting his mother in the city next thing i know he's talking about how he uh you know loves hash and wanted to share a little bit with me um so I gotta, if Jimmy, if you're out there, I'm sure you're a listener. If you're out there, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to smoke your hash. I'm probably going to have to dispose of it, but I really appreciate the gesture. I was, that was nice of you. What happened is, is you smoked it with your heart, Andy. And that's really what, what Jimmy was looking for. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it may just be a, you know, a balled up portion of sands alive. Lord knows. It's the remains of his desiccated colon that he, uh, he God. saved from his operation. dark. He just wanted he just wanted you guys to be closer. This is like that episode I think 13 where you uh where you wished my hairline into receding. You know what I love? I love that every comment I make is living rent-free in the apartment in your head. That just feels good to me. When you close your eyes, do you see my face? You know what, Dan? As a person that I uh as a person that I am forced to interact with, I like and enjoy sure, and respect sure, all yep. of those things, your words do have an impact. And when you wished my hair would fall out of my head, it had a lasting impact on my soul. I say a lot of things, Andy, and, and I only mean some of them. In closing, in closing, Jimmy the Hat, I wish your colon nothing but the best. 
I'm like, right. <laughs> in fact, next next Thursday, you and me and your colon are going to get up close and personal. Pawn shop guy is going to be there. Enos, I'm good for a game of switch the pants from off to on. <laughs> Come on, man. You didn't have to go. You have to go there with my pawn shop hookup. You're just jealous. You're just jealous because you're a little still bit jealous. paying full retail, asshole. Full, full retail and not getting <laughs> paying full retail for my asshole. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, Andy. I got, I got nothing. I have nothing to say to you anymore. It's uh, it's one of those games you can only win by not playing, and you've made a fatal error by playing the game. Okay, great. Um, oh, I seem to have developed allergies out of nowhere. How did yeah. that happen? I'm, I'm allergic to, to this conversation. Oh yeah, I'm getting getting hives. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what this podcast is all about, which is weed and video yeah. games. And in fact, yes. that brings me to our sponsors, weed and video games. Thank you for being there for me and Dan as we suffer through. Suffer through the excruciating exercise of carrying on a conversation. Of each other's company. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, This episode of Purple Dungeon Squid is brought to you by people who say Chipotle. Chipotle? You can ote your way out of this conversation. (laughs) Man, I just, I heard it on the train again today. And anytime I'm with somebody who says Chipotle, it just, it causes one of those nervous tics, you know, I just want to say, dude, it's Chipotle, you know what I'm saying? Like, get some culture. Andy, real quick, there is a whole um, congregation of humans that are otherwise quite intelligent, but they say library. Right. They say, they say library. Indiana Mm. Jones in the Last Crusade, Dr. Jones says, it's over in that library. I'm like, you are a doctor of antiquities. How did this happen? (laughs) Well, at least he's not saying Chipotle. (laughs) Brought to you by Robin Hugs. When you need a a hug, but none of that nasty business after Robin Hugs. (laughs) And finally, brought to you by guacamole and chip sombreros. When the sun's just too much, but you're also a little bit peckish, why don't you put some food on your head and dip vigorously? Guacamole and chip sombreros. Oh, nice, buddy. Uh, yeah, I think you've. Yeah, I feel good about moving into the next segment, having rectified your uh, overall mood after that disparaging colon comment. You say you didn't like it, but you just can't. Just can't let it go. If you want to recommend a game for us to play or anything you'd like Dan and I to chat about, please email us. I'm missing my prompts. This sucks. Please email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. I think. A smooth front half. Next segment. <laughs> Next segment, please. Alrighty, Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan. Dan the man. Who's a good boy, Dan? You a good boy? Oh, the best boy like a key grip oh isn't that nice yeah yeah oh buddy well it's been a little bit it's been a little smidge of a while lots of plane travel which means lots of time on the switch surprisingly and um it's been really genuinely wonderful i have been playing xenoblade chronicles 2 you heard of zb2 dan he gives that the old zc2 ZC2. You know, I've actually never, I've never played Xenoblade, never played a Xenosaga game, uh, Xenogears, never, I just haven't played it. Had no idea what the whole thing was about. Like, have you, have you explored any of these previous titles? Because it is a long legacy, long lineage of, of, uh, of a franchise. I thought uh, uh, Xenocross Chronicles started it 
number two is it, I thought it was one that just like jumped in right in the middle like like uh, you know like Ass Pirates 8 there's no one it just starts at 8 right no so Xenoblade Chronicles 2 <laughs> <laughs> Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is uh, a sequel without this not not the same characters mm-hmm. but um uh, uh yeah I don't know how that works like really. Final it's Fantasy not really a sequel. it's never the yeah, Final sure. Fantasy and like it smells like other Final Fantasies but it's not like the next chapter in the story they just kind of sure they, it's like a Final Fantasy boggle they shake up the elements and wherever they land they're like and that's the game so neither of us have explored this franchise because no. I mean it's um, like Xenoblade. Oh God! So Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, the original, came out on I want to say Wii Papyrus. Oh God! The, the I Nintendo mean, like, they're, they're, Papyrus. No, wait, no, because there's Xenoblade. Right. Oh my God! This is not what you're looking Perfect. for in this conversation. Yes, Xenoblade Chronicles came out originally on the Wii. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And so this is a uh, non-sequential, I believe. Christ, I wish I was better prepared for this. Regardless, Xeno- <laughs> get out of here. There was Xenoblade Chronicles, Xenoblade Chronicles X, which was on the Wii right. U, and then Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which is uh, which is on the Switch. And uh, they recently released, I guess you could call it an expansion pack. It's it's called uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 Torna, the Golden Country. Yeah. came out in September. Right. Uh, but it's actually set... 500 years before the events of this very story-driven game so i don't i don't think you could really call it a true expansion i think it's just more of a another standalone title but um but regardless xenoblade chronicles is in the mythos of i think it's like xeno saga mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. yeah xeno saga is a you role know, anyone yeah. who doesn't know about this is like I, he's drawing some strings together and it's really helped me pull a picture anyone who loves this series is like why why is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Something. Uh, yeah, Xeno Saga uh, came out on PlayStation 2 originally and worked its way up through the mobiles and uh, and um, to the DS. Yeah. And then I, I swear that there's Xeno Gears. That's the one. Xeno Gears. Is that like a Final Fantasy is the original. Yeah, it's the original franchise that came out originally in 1998 in Japan, 1998 in North America for, I want to say PSX. Is it PSX? Yes, PlayStation. So, you know, since 1998, Xeno, whatever, in some some way or another has been, uh, has been a thing. Um, and frankly, I've had no clue what this franchise was about until picking it up for Switch. So you've had obviously no exposure to this thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've I've just seen, a, a like when you brought it up, you were saying, you know, do I pay, play Octopath Traveler or do I play uh, Xenoblade Chronicles? That's when I really started Googling it. And I really like the look of this game. Um, you know, looking forward to hearing what your experience was. Yeah, so it was a challenging decision because Octopath Traveler originally had my vote, right? It's, it's familiar. It's got that, you know... Um, um, 2D sprite aesthetic that I'm extremely fond yeah. of. Uh, and I think we talked about this in a previous episode. You know, it looks similar to Bravely Default, has a similar vibe. There's some Final Fantasy lineage and stuff in there. So th- there's a lot of reasons to say yes to Octopath Traveler. Plus, the box art is just beautiful. And I know that shouldn't probably factor in, you know, but then uh, it does. Factor. But then it does. But then it does. But I ended up picking up Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, and man, I have been so stoked on this game. I don't think an RPG in recent memory has captured my attention as closely as Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, This game is freaking good. And where do I start? So this is an RPG in the most traditional of uh, the word. Um, The game is heavily story driven, Um, you know, uh, follows the 
adventures or let's call it misadventures of the lonely or lowly protagonist, the ordinary hero who has, um, you know, uh, a series of extraordinary events occur and then put them on the path towards hero mm-hmm. uh, and the And the game is set in this let's call it post-apocalyptic fantasy world. It's kind of like Waterworld, which is kind of neat. A lot of water. Basically, yeah, people travel around on these giant beasts called Kevin Costner. Titans. Oh. Get out of here. Get out of here. Um, you know, and there's there's cities that are uh, floating on the water, but by and large, it's water as far as the eye can see. And, and the, the protagonist is like a scrap diver, right? So that's what he does for a living. Jumps off the back of his giant waterborne dinosaur and um you know searches the bottom of the sea for scrap and it's it's compelling enough right it's charming he's a young hero he's kind of out on his own doing his own thing very han solo-esque kind of character right um and you know things quickly escalate into this pseudo science quasi fantasy experience where you know he uh he acquires this legendary blade and so that's kind of the hook of of um Xenoblade Chronicles is that there are these let's call it heroes or or people who um, who are known as drivers and they're you know they're kind of the adventurers of the time let's call it right um, and they control these beings called blades which is a little strange because these blades are both characters that have physical female or male forms or sometimes a little bit anthropomorphic they just come in different shapes and sizes but then they also turn into weapons oh yeah yeah I heard a little bit about this you make friends with the swords um now right. are those friendships <laughs> a little are those friends ever friendships ever like oddly um let's say intimate or so far they've been pretty standard hundred hundred percent i'm totally falling in love with sword yeah, lady because <laughs> that's where you're like wait is it an american rpg or is it a japanese rpg you're like um you're wooing uh, your swords which are also ladies i'm like japanese then okay Yeah, and I got to tell you, in the vein of uh, JRPG fandom, there is a proliferation and genuine love of cleavage in this game. And I'm not offended, but it is there. Um, (laughs) It's like, listen, I want you to picture Link in Waterworld, but the Master Sword, it makes him oh so horny. And you're like, and we're in. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's it's sad, but you're not wrong. Um, and, and I don't want to simplify it that much because there's a lot of lore behind this whole thing. And it, it unfolds the storyline beautifully. They don't just throw you into it, you know, in a way that feels disingenuous. Like, there is a really strong introduction to this game. There's a lot of um, treachery afoot. Uh, and so, you know, the story element, it's sometimes hard to quantify when you're just talking about how good a story is in the game because I'm not going to walk you through the Thanks. beats. But... You know, there's a genuine um, sense of exploration in the game. There's a genuine sense of pacing as long as, and here's the biggest asterisk that I will put on this game, you stay the hell away from the side quest. Do not, do not do the side. There are, there are like, I, I, Lord knows, thousands of hours of side quests. Like, this is one of those games that went whole hog on the side quests and they're not bad. There's self-contained little vignettes of life in this really curious and interesting world that's like a bunch of islands all over the place and little, you know, uh, societies. It's it's actually very cool. And what's cool about the side quests, yeah. Dan, is they actually impact the towns that you're you're going Ooh, through. Town so impact these towns. Mm. <laughs> Impacting towns, impacting town. Yeah, like it affects the basically the more quests you do in an area, the more affluent the area becomes, and more uh, safe it becomes. And there's like better items you can buy and some tangible changes. So right? you can participate in gentrifying um, various cities through your 
Like, what are you picking up garbage in a park or running out the local thugs, that, that type of thing? It's literally all yeah. of that. You know, hey, the windmill's broken. The thing with these side quests, though, is like, okay, the windmill's broken. Go talk to three people about what they saw. And those three people, each of them is like, okay, for me, you need to go and collect, like, lumber and a shovel and some other materials you can only get by diving. So you go off and do that for 40 minutes and come back and they're like, cool, but you needed to go talk to these other two people who then send you on their own little fucking chore fuck around, I, right? And it's like, by the time you're done, you're in for like two and a half hours. The tangible rewards are okay. They're not like mind blowing. Yeah. It's, you get some whatever gold and gear and whatever, but you're out of the story beat for so long that you're like, what was I doing again? And blessedly i've actually googled this um and none of the side quests are really mandatory to make meaningful progress in the story thank the lord so you can actually yeah you can just skip all that you can just not do any of it and i'm planning on not doing any of it because if under some blue moon i have enough time to go back and do a new game plus after i've completed the storyline and complete all of the side quests then that's the time to do it when you're doing new game plus and everything's a little harder and you're going for your 100 percent completion but the first time through this freaking game for the love of god do not I do feel side like, quests you feel, I feel like you that you know you finish the game and they're like you've destroyed the evil that's emerged from the mountain and freed the peoples of Vesperia. However, the microeconomy of strawberries in our town really hasn't improved at all. And I'm asking myself, where were you on that? <laughs> yeah, you're right, pal. You're right. That's, and that's exactly that's exactly how it feels. I gotta be honest, though. Like, and like, Let's sidebar, sidebar. really quickly. The existence of side quests that I likely will never do to me is really important to the game overall. Is that no, I get it. I get it. It's, um, I've experienced this with you. Um, you've, uh, heard about, uh, let's say an activity I've done. We found a poker night and you're like, Dan, why didn't you fucking invite me? I was like, I knew you're busy. That doesn't mean you don't invite me invite me so now when i have an activity you definitely can't come to i will proffer an invite you don't want to do the side quest andy but if it wasn't there you'd sign you'd send a very harshly worded letter about the absence of side quests for you to ignore (laughs) (laughs) okay so on a personal level you're kind of right but what i will also say is that in general i think the presence of side quests and just knowing that there's other shit to do makes the thing that you're doing seem all the more more immersive and it's a it's a real mind bender because if developers could find a way to trick us into thinking that there's side quests but give us no reason to do it they'd have a much stronger game with much less design they may already have done that because listen how can i be withholding of my time and efforts to farmer green if farmer green is not interested in my efforts he's got to want it and i have to uh you know snub him it's like oh there's some rats in my field good luck call an exterminator i got better shit to do yeet you know but if he's just got nothing to do you're like what's with this stupid game yeah yeah exactly well that's like you know you go back to like um the pokemon rpg the originals actually really all the way on up until uh the most recent entries pokemon is not big on side quests 
You know, you roll into that game. Almost every person in a town, they might want to fight you for like two seconds, like a random battle and give you some some gold afterwards or some money after. But there's no like you don't talk to the the person next to the Poke Center and they send you off on a, you know, five hour mission. That's just not a thing that happens in those games. Um, And I'll be honest, like it kind of makes those games feel a little empty, right? There's not a whole lot of side quest stuff going on. Fun fact. Pokemon was a side quest that I skipped altogether, and it felt great. Yeah, much to your detriment. We'll talk about that a little bit later about how you're a damaged human being. But um, yeah, it's anyway. I, I digress. But skip the side quests if you're playing this game for the first time and just want to enjoy the storyline because the story is genuinely great. Since I since I said screw it to the side quests and just focused on the story, enjoying it much more. Um, so yeah, I mean. The other thing that I, what, what can I talk about? The vibe, the vibe is super. Have you ever seen Titan AE? Um, is that the one where it's like Lon John Silver, but in space? Kind of like Titan AE is a charming, extremely underrated. I think it's Disney. I don't even. Yeah, I think I, I think I nailed it once. That one. I think it's like Treasure Treasure Island in space. Sure, it came out like twenty years ago, and the like. It's a great, great film. The epic quest of that film, along paired with the sense of you know empty and loneliness and hopelessness, coupled with the really strong party dynamics. You know, so for example, the the first blade that you get, her name is Pyra, and she's an extremely charismatic, like ethereal. Uh, you know, uh, inanimate object turned person with all of the quirks and, and dynamism that that brings, right? Um, and just, th- I want to pretend like I know what you're talking about, so I'm going to it's hard continue. To yeah, you can just imagine some of the tropes you can play off of of being sure. like a you know an inanimate object turned person with some of the awkwardness of that being the case. Now, it just like are we talking like Lumiere from like Beauty and the Beast, that kind of thing? No, no, no. Like he's Lumiere a he's a person, but he's also a candle stick holder it's different no loop come on now lumiere was he's also maybe a little bit he needs to get hit by that me too thing a little bit a little bit too handsy maybe yeah but lumiere was just a handsy dude who turned into his his hands are literally fire you think that would help him sort of tush pa but then no not at all no like his this main (laughs) squeeze it's a feather duster that feels like a story that's gonna end in tragedy they're together. Like but you don't have to be. She's made of he's feathers, just, and his hands are flame. That's like star-crossed <laughs> lovers, if I've ever heard it. Listen, man. The more dangerous you make it, the more fun <laughs> it is. But true, um, yes. I, I digress. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a. I mean, it's it, it, exactly that. Really strong party dynamics, um, and then that that looming enormous quest. It's 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 classic, but at the same time, extremely appealing. Um, but. The thing that I maybe not love most, but one of the things that I'm really fond of in this game is the combat sure. system. So you're fam- you're familiar with like standard, massively multiplayer combat, right? Attack. No, no. Defend. Yeah. No, no. Item. Yeah. <laughs> I mean more like a like a World of Warcraft. So let's let's revisit how you you fight things in World of Warcraft. You right click on something and then you use action buttons to execute abilities. Right, right? click. Left this is click. almost exact. Whatever it is, you, you there's an auto attack and you build on top of it, and this is exactly the same. So whereas I've grown really tired of turn-based um, RPGs in the vein of Final Fantasy, I can still get behind them, but uh, you know, and, and frankly, it's one of the reasons why I didn't go with Octopath because I just wasn't feeling like getting into that. Um, but this combat system is is fascinating because you start auto attack, you target an enemy, you start auto attack, and then it's a hybrid between pushing buttons to execute 
like different abilities along with timing so you have to time execution of those abilities with your actual sword or weapon strikes and then you're building combos on top of that at some point you'll execute a combat or a combo and there's a quick time event thing that happens which feels kind of reflexive and interesting and at the same time, you're building those combos with an eye towards what your group mates are doing, because they're building up different elements that can help you amplify your combos in different directions. And you're layering on the strength of those combos so you can perform an ultimate combo. It's extremely complex. Really? Uh, did, did you follow any of that? Uh, sorry, I was just cruising my Facebook just a little bit, but uh, I got most of it. Yeah, great. Nice, nice. Can't wait for your review, Dan. Going to be raw ears. Going to be just <laughs> I, right up in there. I heard you say ultimate combo. And like, listen, I want to pretend like uh, I'm not into everything that you just said, but actually that's right up my alley. Like my favorite thing is the little innovations that got heaped upon um, sort of the basic framework that you find in an RPG. And uh, uh, the time combo is with huge up, up, uh, sort of upshots and rewards is what keeps me coming back. Uh, one of my favorite things in Mario RPG is the um, timing elements and almost all the super moves that can be can perform. You can, you know, uh, uh, Mario Super Jump, I think you can get up to five, six, or seven hits if you perfectly time it. And I dig that because that keeps me engaged uh, and keeps combat from getting incredibly boring. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I got you entirely. Uh, and I feel exactly the same way. And so um, thank you for that glowing, <laughs> glowing segue. Um, what I want to say about this is that I actually did spend a good 45 minutes reading about how this combo system works on the internet. In fact, I also watched a video. It was, it was necessary to wrap my brain around it. Because although they introduce it gently in the game, like they actually don't roll out the full system all at once. Uh, you know, it, it's still a little bit ambiguous. So, but once you get your mind around it, there's so much possibility that opens up from it. Plus, you can so throughout the game you'll encounter many more blades. So not just Pyra, but there's uh, you know dozens of rare ones and then a bunch of common ones. You basically will loot these crystals off of enemies and you can turn them into blades. And Am whatever. I falling into a well? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so. Uh, those combos can then be modified by those blades that you pick up. So it, there's there's a lot of, it's a very crunchy system. And if you want to dive into it and tweak around with it and pick a play style that's unique for this playthrough versus last playthrough, it's exactly that kind of game. You I dig? do dig. Yeah, entirely. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really bullish on Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I think that it's, um, for me at least, it's the most exciting RPG that I've played in a good long while. Uh, I think it's an auto pickup for Switch. I will say though, the one thing that I was thinking about as I was going through it, and just to throw it back to Pokemon for just a minute, because like a core tenet of this game is the collection of blades, right? And I was sitting here going, oh, okay, another Pokemon ripoff. But like... Is it really, is it unfair to say that any time that, you know, a game comes out with a landscape or a, or a catalog of collectible and highly varied combat associates, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Any time that that happens, is it, is it just ripping off Pokemon or is, it, is that a legitimate... You know, uh, way to, to to build a build a combat system. I gotta catch every sword. I, I guess. Do you have like? Do you have the swords fight 
each other or do you wield them? Like, do you say like, uh, hey, Blady, go, or like, it, do you just equip it? Like, how separate are these entities? Does it feel like Pokemon when you're playing it? Do you ever switch swords mid-combat? Are you using multiple swords? You can. Like, are you one guy yeah, you using can. three swords that are swinging themselves? Yeah, you can switch between multiple blades. I mean, but the thing is, is you're not always wielding them. Sometimes they're just, you know, established characters standing there doing specials <laughs> and casting casting <laughs> abilities. But sometimes you're also holding them as a it's sword so and Japanese. swinging them around. It sounds, Listen, I know swords aren't crazy, people, but, but this game pre-conceives pre, uh, pre maybe they are. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and like I think I you know I have an answer to my own question and I think that it's you know unfair um, Pokemon's just become so ubiquitous right that's what it's about it's about collecting all the stuff and using all the stuff's abilities to fight other stuff it's kind of unfair that that you know in a game like for example Xenoblade Chronicles which has a very different dynamic and a very different layer of storytelling throughout all of these other elements that you would immediate that I would immediately go there I just I thought you know maybe I was maybe I was being crazy Andy uh, now uh, just for clarification are your living swords fighting other living swords Yes and at times not right. always sometimes no. it's just like an angry badger right <laughs> Yeah. Great. Sometimes you're just use, using that as a now, tool. Um, do are the swords horny for killing? Like, is that what they want to be doing? I, I don't. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, mean like a sword wants to cut type of thing. Like that's it's into that. It's like, uh, master, why haven't you harnessed me for evil recently? I haven't tasted blood in a fortnight. I don't okay. know where you're going with this conversation. Okay. Uh, question. <laughs> no question clue. withdrawn. Objection received. Um, second question. So basically, it's. Yeah, we'll just we'll just it's a Pokemon ripoff. We'll just we'll just stop there. <laughs> are they are they forged in the same way? Like, um, did does a like a swordsmith you know bang together some metal in a hot furnace until it turns into a lady, or do they have a special origin? So tell me about the game you played this week, Dad. I, so I have nothing but questions, and you're gonna make me play all the side quests to learn the truth. You you have to play all of the side quests. Probably read a couple wikis. Get into it. No, for real, man. This is a game that you would enjoy. You would like it. The story's great. The action's great. Get it for Switch. You will uh, not be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, putting you on blast aside, it actually does sound pretty cool. I haven't, I haven't romanced a sword in quite some time, so, and I feel like I got what it takes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what they say, Dan. What? Something, something mightier than the sword. Please continue. Perfect. <laughs> Please continue. What? Me? Oh I'm yeah, the, no, no. I'm the guy. No, you you played you played a game this week. I, I oh think. yeah, yeah, buddy. I did play a game. I, I was I was on a little bit of a, a search down into like the annals of my game collection, of which there's many. Like I got a Steam library that is overflowing with like uh, humble did bundles you pay retail? and uh, pay no, no, retail no, no, for those no, 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 sir. Please, I've been buying you know bundles every week for like years, and yet only playing my playstation so my it was just getting stacked up and i kind of spun sure. the magic wheel of games i have and i came across uh we the revolution and i didn't even know what the game was about when i when i clicked install and then uh subsequently play but this is a niche game um it, it's by uh <laughs> what <laughs> you're right it's just a funny way to wow this game is real yeah. niche oh it's it's a niche of a niche so it's uh by a, a developer called clabatter 
Clab Adder. And um, it, it recently got released for the Switch. It's actually also on uh, the PlayStation, the Xbox One. But it started its life as a PC game. And that's where I'm playing it. Uh, it's kind of like a mix um, between a um, Ace Attorney game. Are you familiar with the Ace Attorney games? Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Wright. Yes, Ace that, Attorney. That's uh, correct. Yeah. And a tabletop board game and a rock paper scissors speech giving game so if that sounds confusing it's gonna get worse so (laughs) you play a judge that is appointed over a special tribunal that exists to uh, oversee justice right after one of the french revolutions i know i know some things about history but the french revolutions because there seems to be one every generation was one that i had almost no view into it like i could pick some names out of the air i know there's a king uh that people weren't happy with king louis and there's like marie antoinette and then somebody's telling everybody to eat bread or cake or something and then guillotine somebody's getting the chop sure was that kind of your understanding there was a tower of bastille so i was i yeah i, I know almost nothing about it so i was i read I read a tale of I read a tale of two cities, so I'm pretty well versed. I like to think of myself as an amateur historian. <laughs> oh, so, oh. so uh, you know, I, I got a crash course in it. But essentially, you're like um, a family that has kind of fallen. Your your reputation has fallen to tarnished state because you've been drinking and gambling heavily. Sure. And your family's like really angry with you. Um, so right off the, the the bat of the game, one of your first choices is, uh, do you want to spend time with your family or do you want to go gambling? <laughs> like drinking and, and... Did you choose Did you choose the latter, Dan? <laughs> I'm a family guy at heart, so I... And, and I also see. constantly in fear of being accused of being an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. As we all... We, we all we all live... We, I can stop when I want to. I can to, stop Dan. whenever I want to. It's one of those questions that like, you could just be sitting there Sunday afternoon, like drinking tea and they're like, you're an alcoholic. And you're like, uh, no, I'm not. And they're like, that's the first sign denial sign one <laughs> let's get going <laughs> there really is it really oh, is uh the kobayashi maru of questions but uh joking sure. aside uh and then you find yourself in court and so the court thing takes its own little vibe when you're in court uh you have to sort of quickly read the case notes i'm sure that sounds vibrant and then pick uh-huh. out the key elements and then it drops you into a mini game where you connect the elements together that sort of match like uh, uh, like the stairways where the the crime happened and her their their uh, possible motivation is this and this is the extenuating circumstance it all happens in like a decision wheel so it's not too hard um, but if you mess that up you don't get the proper questions to ask the plaintiff or the sorry the accused and then it drops in this thing where it's a morality play in the sense that the questions you ask affect how the jury feels about this person and you're trying to manipulate them to get the jury to feel a certain way about this person whether they're innocent or whether they are guilty Uh, interesting and it it really determines on whose side you're trying to come down on so the way I, i there's basically four sides that come out in the game there is what the elitists want, what the upper class wants, what the revolutionaries want, and what the people want. And then for an added twist, there's like what your family wants. And, you know, sometimes your family sides with what the elitists want, sometimes they're with the, with the people. And so you're constantly like tiptoeing around this web of who to side with to keep everybody sort of on a balance. There's like there's like faction chart of how everybody's feeling about you. And if things go all the way one way, uh, the elitist might have you murdered or if things go all the way the other way there might be another revolution a riot so if you 
If you go against your family as well, your reputation goes down at home. When you go home for dinner, they're going to give you shit and then your home life gets worse and then you're not as effective in court. You lose influence points. Great. I need need all... This is the game that I've been looking for. Right. Work-life balance simulator. And then if you fuck it up, you can go home and your family gives you shit, real shit. Yeah, and if things get like really bad, you're, you'll get guillotined. So, oh, good. So it's kind yeah. of crazy. Like, and as you're asking these questions, if the person's crime is like very inflammatory, the longer the trial goes on, the longer the people just generally get angry, angry, and may riot. So while you're doing all these things, you're also trying to increase your public persona and your power so um for instance when you send somebody to the guillotine you have the opportunity to speak to the crowd and that's when this like rock paper scissors thing comes into play so there'll be like a couple stages to your speech and you can decide whether you're going to be playful in this part or you're going to be antagonistic or you're going to be manipulative and depending on what you pick the crowd will react a certain way if it goes really bad they might might riot if it goes well you'll gain more influence but so it's so fascinating because a lot of these games that are like this you're supposed to snuff, like suss out what the moral thing is to do. Like in the course of the trial, you might find out that this person is not guilty of what they're being accused of. Like their boss is accusing them of stealing from the warehouse, stealing grain or sugar for, for their family. But as through the questioning, you can determine that they definitely didn't do that. But it might be very advantageous to your power dynamic to make it seem like she did through your questions, asking questions that make her seem guilty. And so the game is will present to you what the moral choice is and then what the the choice that will give you the most power is and then not necessarily suggest that you should do the moral choice. You know what I mean? In a game where I imagine the desired outcome is for you to raise your power to the, the highest level possible. So in a game where that's the ultimate goal, what uh, what incentive do you have to go moral choice? Um, maybe your family wants that. Maybe a certain group, like the maybe the revolutionaries, want that, and your your reputation with them is getting low. Like things might you might be headed towards another revolution. So you're constantly doing this balancing act, very often leaving the moral choices aside. Um, but you know, sometimes I just can't send the lady with five kids to the guillotine because she, you know, might have taken some sugar. So it it really is like a, it's a completely politically motivated court case every the entire thing crazy it's wild and you know it has a lot of twists and turns and a lot of little mini games um you will find in some points you have to play uh yet some you have to gamble a little bit with like a yahtzee style dice game um and you can tactically give your opponent drinks to worsen their choices i've just unlocked a, a new thing where i'm like it shows the districts of paris and how your influences are spreading around that uh that map right and so you have little pieces that represent either your thugs or diplomats um there's another piece that i forget and they they do different things around the board and the enemies pieces um because the, some of the other powers the beast start to sort of jockey against you and your objects is to like move the districts in paris over to your side of thinking which will every day give you more influence give you sort of special bonuses so there's like this very interesting, almost like risk type element in it. And all while that's going on, you're sort of orchestrating intrigue to 
maneuver you might be exposing somebody's corruption not because it's the right thing to do but because they're kind of standing in your way and you right. sort of choose different ways to do that so there's a lot of nuance to the like subterfuge in this game um all backed on this really cool art style which goes between like fairly realistic cartoon renderings to like a kind of triangular cell shading uh and it takes its time with it like uh whenever you guillotine somebody it shows the view from where the person being guillotined would be sitting. The guillotine wow. comes down. You actually have to click the button to pull the rope. Um, and when it's the people's faces, the crowd's faces, it goes down. They're all raucous. And, you know, some people are, are clearly angry. Some people are, like, sort of bemused. Others are a little bit scared. And then their faces change when the guillotine's coming up. So it really kind of brings the visceral feeling of getting your head lobbed off. Um to bear Good which Lord. is which is really cool like it, it really it's really really a cool choice how to do it um and i'm about i think i'm about halfway through and there keeps new mechanics keep being shown like uh it, it's coming to blows in the streets so uh it, it has a combat system where you kind of uh, it looks like you position your guys a little bit like a chessboard. there's like instead of two lines there's three and you're picking different units and what they do every turn while the enemy is sort of across the field as a chessboard would be so there's like a, a bunch of little nuances that keep be, being um revealed which keeps the game extremely interesting and it's all additive i'm still making rulings in court um but i'm moving up the power structure so uh, not only is it kind of uh educational it's been um, a little bit of a nail biter. Like I'm constantly uh, sort of a little bit nervous on how how my intrigue went. Should I've sent wow. my thugs, or should I've sent assassins, or should I've left that person alone? It, it, it's it's fascinating, and you're constantly confronted with the impact of the the choices you make. And uh, not not to give any spoilers, but there's a bunch of bad stuff that is a little bit unavoidable. Like, if you go this way, this bad thing happens. If you go that way, this bad thing happens. So it's not like, it's not about avoiding bad outcomes. It's about managing which ones you're willing to accept and what, how far you're willing to go to achieve power. Yeah, I like it, man. I mean, it sounds like a fascinating game. You're right, it does sound super niche. Um, does it does it get a thumbs up from you? Is it, it sounds like you're enjoying it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. Um, it, you know, it's it's probably not a forty hour title. I think I'm getting sort of close to the end. Um, but I recommend it if you're somebody who likes intrigue and stories and history or any kind of legal, uh, sort of uh, legal strategery. This is this is the one for you. Um, so definitely unique title. Burning it, burning it down while you're playing, or is that uh, just not not really the move on something so complex? A dealer's choice. There is some reading. <laughs> there is some some legally, but it's it's pretty gentle. It, it like highlights the keywords and puts the corresponding like pictures that you'll have to pick out of the choice wheel beside them. So like you're not reading like 50 pages of legal briefs. It's never been more than three pages and you know with with nice underlines so you know your eyes can follow you can sort of skim it if you'd like um yeah I, i'm i'm just i'm quickly i'm actually just um i'm just googling the best cannabis strains for focus because i'm curious like for mental energy what's the move and so leafly's got an article here uh, apparently synex so that strain you um that strain you've sampled i think two three weeks ago yeah was uh was is, is one of them for sure um Synex is the strain you reach for when the cup of coffee didn't do the job. 
Nice. Uh, apparently, you need to take caution with it if you're prone to anxiety and racing thoughts. Mm. And that's kind of the thing is like, you know, I don't need any of that in my life. But it is interesting, especially for an application like playing a game where, you know, or yeah yeah i mean like that's probably the best the best example playing a game where you need to be reading and assessing information and getting yourself into a role and and feeling you know confident in what you're saying um yeah it sounds like a reasonable reasonable way to go sour diesel green crack makes perfect sense um apparently though on the other side of the spectrum leafly's got strains for calming focus Calming. So like a, like a level, calm uh, uh, sense of evaluation, and it's uh, it's it's calling for a little true OG or some blueberry headband, and then for cognitive clarity, they're rep- they're uh, recommending Harlequin, Harl Sue, and Goo, as along with Jupiter OG. Really neat, actually. I, I really like that Leafly has grouped this into different types of mental acuity. You know what I mean? Like I was just expecting top five, th- excuse me, top five strains to um, to help you focus on something. But yeah, you've got these these very sativa dominant strains for mental energy and engagement, which makes perfect sense. It's the kind of thing that you'd maybe in a game like this want to have um and then strains for calming focus which by the way i think calming focus maybe you can you can think of some examples also to me that would be the perfect kind of strain to consume if you were playing like guitar hero or 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 a really tense racing game or something you know what i mean yeah, for sure. That's that's the neighborhood you're going to want to go in. And Leafly's not messing around. They're a fastidious bunch of organizational champions. Love what they're doing. Yeah, 100%. And then cognitive clarity. I was trying to think. I guess it's just uh, maybe this would also be good for something like a Phoenix Wright or, uh, or the game you're describing, um, We the Revolution. Uh, yeah, something that allows yeah. like that deep dive focus where you can just sort of hone in without feeling like you're going to uh, slip into a, a light coma. Yeah, you know what? I kind of feel like cognitive clarity and just reading through some of these strains, like Harlequin, for example, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sativa, but it's a high CBD sativa. Uh, it's, I think it's a five to two ratio of CBD to THC. So it's got a little bit of that euphoric stimulation, but, you know, um, definitely keeping you level for the cognitive clarity. Uh, whereas Synex is, of course, a much higher THC um, uh, strain. So fascinating. You said really it, buddy. Neat. Yep, indeed. Yes, indeed. Speaking of all this strain talk, why don't we uh, why don't we dip on over into the smoke the smoke bridge? Yeah, let's slip down into that sticky icky. Yeah. Alrighty, Dan. The smoke sash is on, my friend. And you have to go to work, which is a bit of a bummer. Yes. You've got a late night shift. In precious short minutes, I have to venture forth into the, the good, good night. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I mean, so why don't we do this? I've got a little vape loaded up here. I can puff on it as we go through the uh, the back half of this conversation. But I want to call some attention to this vape because I freaking really like it. So um, it's called the Light 
L-I-T-E. It's by Vapium. And I actually received this as a little piece of swag from a friend. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm pretty pumped on it. Um, you know, it's, it's nice little kind of no, I shouldn't say no frills. It's just it's a nice compact small herb vape. It only does herb, um, which I like. I don't really love. Like, I mean, have you? do you have a lot of experience with vapes, Dan? I know you're mostly a bong guy, right? Um, I, I've vaped hither and yon. Like, we, I've had some of your um, Da Vinci... Uh, you know, I've I've had a couple of vape pens that are like uh, you know one one and done vape pens, which were like serviceable. Um, but there's a like a menagerie of choices out, out here. What, what what kind of type of size are you dealing with there? Yeah, I mean, this is about um, how can I describe it? Ooh, God, what am I trying to? If it's like if you hold your your two your your mm-hmm. uh, index finger and your your pointer finger together, mm-hmm. it's about that size. The set, you know, two fingers in width and about the same same in length. Like it's about the size of the OK symbol. No. Oh. Let, let, let me let me uh, let me call another example. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the size of a Joy-Con. How about that? It's a little bit taller than a Joy-Con. Okay, yeah, there, there you we go. go. That's contextually impro- appropriate. There you are. There you are. And um, you know what I really like about this this piece is it actually comes with a 14 mil adapter. So you can actually use it with a bong, which I think is just, you should, like, what? I just really friggin' like that. Like, really like that. Eddie, you, can you just said a thing and my brain doesn't get it. How do you use it with a bong? Tell, tell me how. So, you throw this 14 mil adapter on the top. You, you jam it into where your downstem goes in the bong, as long as you have a 14 millimeter bong, yeah. which most bongs are. Standard bongage. Right. Yep, standard bongage. Some are 18, but most are 14. So you jam the, the vape in the end. You turn on the vape and you pull. And it'll pull the vapor through the, uh, through the bong. Now, I don't love vapor through the bong quite as much in fact when i do that i typically jack the vape up to the highest temperature it can go um because you know i find if you're just using a lower temperature setting like if you're around the 4 415 to 420 range it just by the time it hits your your mouth it's kind of nothing yeah you know what i mean here's a layman speaking here so it doesn't come out as smoke it comes out as vapor water vapor right Yes. So when water vapor goes into the bong, the bong has water in it, right? That's right. So doesn't it just join the pool of water and then go no further? Well, it's not actually water vapor, right? It's vapor, but it's not now, water. Now, you said yeah, and I want to say yeah, but I didn't know that. So it's not water vapor? No, but... <laughs> cool. Yeah. I like uh, TBD on that one. <laughs> I don't know. It's ma- so basically, Dan, you jam it into the bong, you press the little button, right, and it all happens. Right. How about that? Now, while it's all Do happening, like so if I'm, let's pretend like I don't know what's going on because I don't. Um, it, once I'm doing this, does it come out in the same way that smoke would come out, like cook through and bubble up and percolate, and then I'm a happy man like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just that's why. I, that's why I put it on the blast to the highest setting, or else you kind of get a. You know, weak hit. Let's call it that. What it is, but you put on the highest setting, and it's not bad. It comes through. And it's cool because, like, yeah, it's cool because you're not loading a bong and hitting it with flame. You know, it's it's just a different experience, and it's also convenient. You got a bong sitting around. You you know, jam your vape into it. It doesn't get dirty. Everyone's happy. You know, it's it's cool. It's a, again, it's not a replacement for burning a bowl. It's not a replace. No different than you know, vaping is not a replacement for smoking a pipe or a joint or a bong. Right. Yeah. Um. It's just a different thing and. 
sometimes if you've got a bong around, you want to use it and you want that experience and you want to, you know, use it with your vape. It's just a cool little toy to have. But anyway, so the light is, I'm really enjoying it. Um, heats up quickly, doesn't get too hot on the outside. It automatically shuts off, you know, all of that, all that good technology stuff. It's also got a little like quasi choke on the back, which I've not really seen on too many vapes. So it's got this little slit on the back of it. And what's weird is you can actually take a hit out of the slate. <laughs> so, and it, like you hold it almost like a harmonica. Sounds like something yes. your uh, your sentient sword would ask you to do. <laughs> uh, you hold it like a harmonica. You put it to your lips. <laughs> you, draw, you draw in deeply. Mm-hmm. And actually, the hits the hits pretty weird mm. and 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 uh, and interesting. Can you say that, that point, again, so. but slower and in a more bedroom say, voice? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you know what I don't need is for you to... Dan has a growing library, for those of you out there in Purple Dungeon Squad land. Uh, Dan has a growing library of clips mm-hmm. that he's uh, that he's chopped and stored away for a future time when he wants to incriminate me in a, in a dirty, dirty way. In fact, but, um, one might say I already did that once to great effect. Um, Andy, you might remember that uh, Andy's... Uh, a friendship with Andy um, as close as mine meant... That there is a, a litany of voicemails that would get left for me nonstop. They they would be ridiculous. They would be singing. They would be maybe a little bit racy. He, just believing that he was blowing up my voicemail with nonsense. What he didn't know is that I was saving those voicemails for when the time was right. And Andy, let me ask you. I'll let you field this question. When was the time right? <laughs> That's a good point. When when when, point. when was the time right? You know, Dan, it, it probably makes you a bad person, but I like you. Yeah. And and probably during a speech at my wedding. That's was right. Not the t- so during the best man the speech, I whip out my yeah. phone, just like the pallor on Andy's face ran to a stark white. And I'm like, because I said, actually, I got a couple of those voicemails right here. <laughs> you you instantly went from the best man to the worst man. To the worst man. But you know, o- only who, somebody who, who loves you as much as I do would bother to have saved all those things and edit out anything that could prevent you from becoming Prime Minister of Canada, which I still think there might you happen. Go. You gotta, and that's you, why when it comes to Dan, I never pay retail. That's my guy. All right. So uh, we got some pink, pink cushion loader. <laughs> <laughs> some pink Kush loaded up in this bad boy. Let's give it a and let's give it a maiden pull. Maiden pull. Now is this uh, through the slit or through the standard operational oh, valve? Oh God! Just do you ever get tired of this? <laughs> this this is, keeps me going, buddy. Like Captain America keeps says, you, yeah. I could do this forever. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, nice flavor. So listen, vaping herb through the slit by the way um vaping herb not always my favorite thing to do even with the da vinci you know there's how can i put it sometimes inevitably a herb vape will just taste like burning arm hair yeah you know it just sometimes you just get that in there other times it's it's reasonably pleasant this was a little bit of burning arm hair um the vape is good it's not the vape it's just the process of vaping herb you know uh so again vapes will never replace pipes and bongs and, and joints for me um, but from a convenience perspective here we go again hey Andy how do they feel about vapes on a plane are Just they fine. are they pro vape on a plane or, or con vape on a plane that is, a, that is no bueno my friend that is uh, that is a straight uh, ass kicking from the air marshal they'll, that is not not good no they'll take you all the way to, to airport Disney jail eh 
airport Disney jail. Um, yeah, it's a serious offense vaping in the and like I had a I had a colleague once who uh, really couldn't go without nicotine for any extended period of time. Yeah, um, and so you know he was sitting there vaping in the uh, in the bathroom. And to be fair, they state they say that the um, the sensors will go off. Uh, to his credit, maybe it was an older plane or maybe it just wasn't configured properly. But there was vape coming out from under the door, which was just, oh, God, horrible to witness. Um, and it, the alarm did not go off, but I, I just w- I would not recommend it. It's just not a good idea. So, do not do it, guys. I mean, typically, I think it would be very challenging for water vapor to set off the alarm. Um, just, but it's not wa- water vapor. Yeah. yeah, but let's not, please, let's not start saying things. This podcast should be called Saying Things We're Not Sure If They're True or Not. But, like, I mean, most smoke detectors won't be activated by vapor. I mean, that's just that's just kind of how they're set up. The beam won't be blocked by anything but uh, something that is not as translucent as water. Um, that said, I like that he was blowing uh. clouds so thick that they came under the door. Like, when the field, when the air marshal pulled him out, and he's like, those thick clouds were come, of cotton candy were coming from under the door his only response would be nice (laughs) because he's being cuffed nice nice (laughs) nice thick do you even vape bro do you even vape um yeah yeah anyhow where were we pink kush delicious um so in uh in significant news pokemon fans are going bananas over what is being termed (laughs) <laughs> hashtag Dexit. So let me let me let me explain this one a little bit. Are you familiar with uh, with the UK, Dan? No, I'm not. Home of your <laughs> home of your ancestors. So the um, every time Pokemon comes out with a new game, they do an analogy uh, to a real world location. For example, the most recent one was very much a Hawaii themed. Mm-hmm. Um, game previous to that there was new york right. previous to that there was paris yep. so they always do a theming of a, of a different kind of city sure this one is uh, is london so they're they're approximating london in this one and so um brexit we all know brexit as uh, <laughs> the controversy that it is is being applied to the pokemon decks the uh pokedex as dexit so clever good one twitter uh what people are upset about is that this title here the inaugural pokemon title for the switch next to let's go pikachu is it called pokemon tea and crumpets or yeah no it's called pokemon sword and shield which i don't really know where that's going yet i'm sure we'll find out but point is is that this is the title where pokemon crosses over the 1000 mark that's 1000 tiny little digitally rendered dog fighting engines yep creatures sure just you can't you just can you keep it to yourself and you know i can't it's a medical condition i have a note i have a note from my doctor and you know that yeah 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 all right so they've crossed over to the thousand mark and this would be really exciting except Mm. that the pokemon company has said that they are not including all 1000 they are trimming out some of the pokemon from the bottom end um and maybe they'll release them later in a downloadable content thing they haven't said that but people are assuming um whatever whatever the scenario but maybe they'll never be in the game people are kind of pissed because i don't know if you you know know the title or the tagline but it's gotta catch them all and when they remove them you can't catch them all yeah but you already you already caught you already caught those other ones. You don't need to uh, catch another Squirtle. You, you've had 50 Squirtles. And whenever you catch him, you're like, hey, you know, fuck this Squirtle guy. 
this ratatat, get rid of him. He's garbage. Like, I, I, I love the outrage engine that is the internet. You didn't want those Pokemon anyway. Admit it. I'll wait. Yeah. I mean, I got to sympathize with fans on Twitter because it's, you know, the, the one thing that, and I'm, I'm um, oh God, Business Insider is like got the most in-depth article on this whole thing, mm-hmm. which is super weird. <laughs> Just such a weird world we live in where Business Insider is serving up that real real on the Pokemon games. But um, they did a survey. Who did a survey? Uh, da, 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 recent survey asking more than 50,000 fans to pick their favorite Pokemon. All but four Pokemon received at least one vote, and with hundreds of Pokemon to choose from, each averaged only 65. So, basically, the distribution of fan favorites is across the entire spectrum. That's pretty, that's like, there's some rep. Like, people just love Pokemon in general. Um, So, who do you think came in the the bottom tier here? Well, we don't know, but I don't think that this is the way that they selected. The, you know, the point of the, the exercise is that everybody likes a Pokemon, which isn't usually the case. You know, if you've got a TV series or uh, a, a superhero franchise or whatever it is, generally speaking, there's a couple top favorites. We can agree on that. You know, DC's got Batman, Marvel's got uh, whatever, Spider-Man and Thor and Iron Man and whatever. You know, Pokemon appears to just have Pokemon. Yeah. Like maybe you like you know, whatever you like Charmander or you like, you know, the one that looks like an ice cream cone. Yeah. Everybody likes a different one, which makes it extremely challenging to start trimming out Pokemon from the game. Yes. Cause everybody's got a favorite because it's not like, it's not like the power structure of like best and worst. It's like this huge round Robin game of like rock, paper, scissors, except it's like rock, water, fire, poison, dragon, ghost, you know, on and on and on. Uh, Andy, I bet you can guess who who the number one in this vote was. Can you guess who it was? Uh, I mean, my guess would be Pikachu, but let me take a look. Pikachu is for noobs. You don't get to look. Stop that right now. Number one is Charizard, but number two, my man, and I love this, Gengar. <laughs> like a boss. Gengar coming in with number dose. I would I would uh, I would have put down Gengar. I think that Gengar is a real badass, and I did not know that he was so popular. I now feel like a like a real basic white dude. You know, Gengar. What I like about Gengar is Gengar doesn't care what you think, and I appreciate that about him. I also like that there's a type of Pokemon called fighting. Like all these other ones are doing move, but Blaziken will just kick you in the face. He's just fighting. He's a fighting dude. <laughs> he's just he's like, what move should I use? Should I use punch in the face? <laughs> Blaziken number five. Let me see here. Let's keep going through any more. Oh, Eevee number nine. That seems awfully low in the rankings. Although I haven't seen friggin' Pikachu yet. This is mind blowing. Out of a thousand, out of a thousand, number nine seems low. I mean, where's Pikachu in this list? He's in the one percent of the one percent. It's because Pikachu's basic. I'm gonna come out and say it. Right? It is basic. Well, I, I you know I didn't realize Gengar was basic. If, this is crazy. If you roll this up is, this to your, your yearly Pokemon uh, convention. And you ask somebody what their favorite Pokemon is, and they reply, Pikachu. What do you think about that person? You say, get out of here, Poke-Nark. Right. Fair enough. Uh, number 25 is Garchomp, tied with Mudkip. Yeah, yeah. Garchomp is a real boss, I have to say. I'm a Garchomp fan as well. These are all, this is a good selection here. We got uh, coming in. And listen, there's the- Garchomp sounds like a disease you would contract uh, like from being in the trench too long. Like you first you get trench foot and then you get Garchomp. Uh, number 19, Snorlax. 
Nice, nice call. Listen, um, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this news. I'm deeply disturbed. It'll all depend on what is cut out and what what happens. I'm looking forward to the title, but I'm a little bummed out. I'm not going to lie. I want to catch all 1,000 in the first game where there's 1,000. Like, what? What? Come on. I, I mean, uh, boy, I, I get it. I mean, we all want everything all the time. And I hear, I see here that people are like going to boycott the game. And I feel like the developer's like, oh, yeah, go ahead and boycott the new Pokemon. You don't have the strength, the inner will to do it. No, dude, no one is boycotting. Let's just be real friggin' clear. If they if they they wipe out Mudkip and, and Snorlax and Lord knows, even Gengar... People are still buying the new goddamn Pokemon game. Let's just be real. So I'm reading here. There are no guns in the Pokemon universe. No, they, they do not have. They do not have uh, uh, weapons. No firearms. I love that. That's probably why they had to train their dogfighting team. And I love that. That like separates <laughs> Pokemon from Digimon because Pokemon's like no guns, just like just tiny little creatures that shoot electricity or whatever they happen to shoot. And then there's Digimon. There's just a thing called Gundramon, and he's just an assembly of like fifty thousand guns all put together. Nice. He's just a massive quantity of firearms. And also, Deputy Mon was just a cowboy with a gun in each hand and then a That's gun. That's not a real and then thing. A, and then a gun for a chest. Deputy Mon is a real thing. He's a mutant wow, what Digimon a- whose body has become a gun barrel. <laughs> Listen, at first blush, I think, what a terrible franchise. And then, and then at second blush, I'm like, that's cool. So That's just, like, that's not bad. Pokemon's over here, it's like, no weapons. And, and Digimon's like, I think we're going to go another way. <laughs> I think we're like going to go with Sketching up this character with a, a revolver for a chest. Andy, Weirdest. he doesn't have a face, but he does have a gun for a chest. Just crazy. <laughs> I forgot this franchise existed. Digimon. Wow. They have mm. a lot of video games in this thing, too. I don't yeah. know if it's popular. Is it popular? Who knows? With somebody. Somebody loves it. How many are there? There's certainly Andy, not a thousand. Don't go, don't go too deep, buddy. If you go too deep, there's no coming back. Oh, my God. There are a lot. There are a whole lot. Hey, buddy, I'm going to turn into a pumpkin. We got to keep this thing moving. Yaksamon. Uh, don't do it. Yo, yo, man. So NBA 2K, the community is <laughs> okay. exploding. Listen, I'm, laugh- I'm actually is- laughing. I'm laughing over here. This is an intervention. EA. <laughs> As, uh, let, let me see here. What's the ne- gentleman's name? Uh, this An executive at EA. Uh, oh, what is his name? Kerry Hopkins. And I quote, when asked about if there was any ethical qualms around the use of loot boxes and their similarities to gambling. I'm on Polygon here, by the way, for the quote. Uh, We do think the way we've implemented these kind of mechanics is quite ethical and quite fun. They aren't gambling, and we disagree that there's evidence that show they lead to gambling. I have to say, I do think that it's... I mean, there's no question. This is pretty bona fide. Put money in, get a random thing out. We can agree that this is gambling, right, Dan? That makes you win better. Let me tell you, buddy. This this lady, she's got some huevos rancheros on her because she stood up in front of a House of Commons committee inquest in in UK Parliament and had had the, the gall to say 
that the loot boxes that they call loot box in their loot box games are not loot boxes, but in fact, surprise mechanic that delights and entertain their players, similar to a Kinder Surprise Egg. Similar to a Kinder Surprise Egg. That is, it's, oh dude, it's just so insane. Like, it's it's really mind-blowing. So they go, um, they go, oh, loot boxes are players love them. What they want to do is they want to buy a full price game only to find that content, gear, items, and cosmetics, they're locked behind a wall. Not one of, uh, you know, challenge or time played, but of cold hard cash. Well, not even in, not even in cold hard cash. Randomized cold <laughs> hard right, cash. That's right, like a slot machine. It's like ordering a sandwich, but you have to spin the wheel. And when you get a hard boiled egg, you throw that egg right in the garbage. You want sandwich, go again. <laughs> You want sandwich? Come again for sandwich. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, especially on the back of this game, um, uh, Battlefront 2, right? Like, you know, Star Wars Battlefront 2 was a controversial sandwich. Let's call it that. Uh, and the in, the inclination that you could defend with such candor and be like, hey, yeah, just like a kinder surprise, ain't no thing, is a, it's a ballsy move, man. That's a, that's a serious set of cojones. So this lady, Carrie Hopkins, she's standing up and what's on the line is the billions of dollars that her their company rakes in every year from these loot box, box mechanics that they've leveraged in their systems. And she's got to thread the needle of the loot boxes in our games were so egregious that people didn't buy Battlefront and we eventually had to take loot boxes out of them. And the game was widely considered a failure because of the egregious implementation of loot boxes. She has to stand there and pretend like it was a good thing that everybody loved um, because her like business daddies are standing behind her in a smoke-filled room being like, don't screw this up for the, us. I need to buy a fifth yacht. And if you, uh, Carrie, if you mess this up, unemployment line that's what you're gonna find that's a hold on hold on that's the surprise mechanic you're gonna find a pink slip (laughs) dun 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 dun, pink slip (laughs) i'm sorry i didn't let you finish that thought all the way through it was was quite funny i gotta say if if i'm if i'm sitting there trying to defend my business unit i want carrie hopkins on my team get me her contact information this girl this girl can can defend something andy when she stood up in front of parliament you need to watch this clip not only is she her not only are it's her eyes wide in fear they're like watering a little bit and she's quivering a bit like she's standing in front of a firing squad while she delivers this like resolute lie and like she does a pretty good job She's no Johnny Cochran, but she did a decent job. Listen, Carrie, I'm not laughing at you. You know, we all got to put bread on our table, and I understand you had to take a position. But and you know what? Hats off to you for delivering this so deadpan. You know, there's. Let's just just go to loot boxes for a second. There's a point at which loot boxes become predatory. I really do think so. You know, and uh, I'm not a fan of the mechanic, but I can tolerate it in small amounts. You know, I can tolerate it in small amounts when it's inconsequential, when it's cosmetic, when it's a small amount of money. But there's a point where it becomes a central element in gameplay. You just can't ignore that, you know, the full potential of a, a product or that you're either uh, investing a lot of time or have invested money into um, becomes something that can only really be fully enjoyed when you start tossing randomized dollars into it. And there are not just a few people, but many people, especially impressionable younger people who may have a credit card on file, um, have you know, that a parental that, credit card on file. Sure. Or, you know, are just young with their first credit card that they were able to sign up for right outside of the, you know, uh, Science 101 first day of university. All been that's there. Because that's something that happens we, also. We've yeah, all, we've been, all there. been there too. And it's, it's you know, it just, it's a little icky, man. It's a little icky because 
that impulse control is something that is challenging even, you know, in, in the old, most the oldest and wizened of us um, and really icky when it's, you know, among a younger crowd who typically tends to gravitate towards games, especially that are free to play. So, this, yeah. The British Parliament's like, hey, um, do you think these are addictive? And she's like, I certainly hope so. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, Anyhow. When, hold on. When Carrie Hopkins became the vice president of legal and governmental affairs at, at EA, I bet she wasn't thinking, I bet in eight months I'll be lying to Congress. <laughs> I hope, I hope oh, that's man. what happens. Oh my goodness. Uh, She she trotted out one statement that's one of my favorites. There's a lot of doozies in here, but this one, just general one, a real general one, she floated in there. And it's this people like surprises. (laughs) Now, Andy, Uh. when you think of that, liking a surprise, do you feel like people like surprises or do you feel like people don't like surprises? Um, I can think of 10 <laughs> surprises right now that could happen that I would not like. You know what I no. mean? I can think of 10 that I wouldn't like before one I do like. I find the part of being an adult is learning that every surprise is bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie. Jeez. Good. All right. Valiant effort, Carrie. <laughs> Valiant effort. Valiant effort. Um, so in other news, edibles are coming to Canada in December, and I'm pumped about this. This is cool, cool information. Speaking of good surprises. Yeah, that is a good surprise. I mean, not a, not a full surprise, but, you know, uh, I won't go through, we won't go belabor the point because, you know, we got a lot of American listeners, but for us, it's an important thing. You know, cannabis right now in Canada looks like just flour, flour, oils, and tinctures and capsules. There's no extracts. There's no shatter. There's no uh, cartridges. Uh, there's no uh, edibles. And so the, the way the, the Canadian government rolls this out will be really interesting to look at you know one of the challenges that they're going to have is in making products that are visually appealing for consumption because that is part of the fun of edibles and Mm -hmm, there's not mm going to be a lot of that to be fair canada is going to be canada is going to be making some pretty generic looking things that you can eat that will get you high in approximately 30 minutes because here's the challenge make some candy that doesn't look like candy um oh yeah, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I think maybe they, if they make it look like a T4, maybe that, <laughs> maybe that'll, yeah. you know, do okay. What's what's a, a shape that this, this candy could take that make it like, because if it's just a square, Andy, that looks like, a, and it's like a jelly type substance, that looks like a candy, doesn't it? Listen, man, I wouldn't put it past Health Canada to make it look like a skull and crossbones. <laughs> I think that's definitely, I'm not even joking, it's a possibility. Um, you know, th- that's one of the things that does irk me a little bit about, especially like CBD products, right? CBD products in Canada have a skull and crossbones on the package. This is largely marketed as a wellness product in the United States, so it's just weird. You know, it's a weird way to, to go about it here in Canada. I understand it. I'm not pushing against it. I'm just saying it's like it's a strange thing. Um, when it comes to edibles, though, you know, part of the appeal of edibles is how appealing they are to eat. One of the elements that edibles must be compliant with is they have to be shelf stable. Right. So, you know, that immediately, you know, ice cream out. Ice yep. cream ain't happening. You know, yep. um, anything in the realm of cooked food out. So I doubt we'll be seeing any cannabis related restaurants or experiences anywhere. But you can in make the near that future. stuff. You can make that stuff at home. Like if you're really, you know, if you want that. Well, I think, yeah, I that's think kind they of, might that's have kind to of make... beside, like you can make it at home now, right? It's not right. that hard to make cannabis, cannabis uh, products at home, but especially for people who are inexperienced with cannabis, 
edibles maintain or remain one of the most accessible ways for someone who's never tried cannabis to try cannabis. Yeah. Because there's there's no like learning how to smoke something, learning how to vape something. There's none well, of that. Learning well, how to something dab you do something. all the time. You just eat a thing. It's just done. Yeah, you eat it and try it out. It's you know. And then wait like, 45 minutes. Dear God, wait 45 minutes before you eat that wait. next chunk. Just please wait. Please wait. Just, just wait. From our friend, your friends here at the Purple Dungeon Squid say, just wait and see. Because otherwise, <laughs> 45 minutes later when you've taken three more, you're calling the police and telling them that you're dead and you can see through time. <laughs> I think I've died. I think we're dead. And, and I can see through time. <laughs> yeah, it's not what you want. Hey, I can see Satan now. Yikes. Um, anyhow, it'll be interesting to see how this rolls out. Uh, I'm looking forward to edibles. I'm not a big edibles guy myself, um, but it'll be neat when those are available, especially for some of the folks you know that I know in my life and my circle that have expressed an interest in cannabis but just don't want to smoke or vape. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it's a great entry point, especially for like an older demographic, just to try something out and see how it goes. And there's you like you said, there's lots you can do with cannabis. You know, buy yourself, get you a magic butter machine and go ahead and make some cookies or brownies or put it on a steak. Doesn't matter. Um, but you need that initial experience to feel comfortable with uh, with consuming an edible, you know, and I think that it's important that uh, Canada nails this one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The mouth is a good entry point. I agree. Oh, boy. Um, let's skip through a couple quick things here. Um, Dan, do you want to take this interesting conversation about why Square Enix remodeled Tifa Lockhart's breasts? In the uh, in the uh, Final Fantasy VII remake, <laughs> do I want to take them? I mean, I've been waiting all semester to hear you say that. Uh, you know, <laughs> geez, it, there's things we love. There's things that we've always loved. There's things that we will always love. And you know, there's a little bit of an outrage when Square Enix got a little bit of a nudge from the ethics department, maybe to. Um, trim down let's say uh bring into realistic proportions the uh memory section of tifa lockhart uh you know that maybe sony might be tightening up its rules about sexual content specifically in the west um at the same time we're hearing people say no it wasn't about that it was all about proportions um but uh some documents leaked have uh given some uh very specific uh, jiggle requirements that they were to um, rest Restrict. into. Yeah, Restrict. They, they were to not um, have excessive jiggle when fighting. A normal amount of jiggle, as much as a leg or a foot would. Um, I think we all remember, um, what is it? Uh, uh, what's that? A fighting game with the ladies in the uh, dead? Dead or alive. Dead or alive. Um, it's as if their breasts were made of a hyperdynamic substance that didn't obey the Newtonian physics. And while I right. loved it, it was also very distracting. <laughs> like, there's a jiggle, there's a recover jiggle, and then there's four more jiggles that could only be gifted by the angels. You know what I mean? And that might yep. take you away from the roundhouse kicks that are being delivered. Can you get on board with that? Yeah, I mean, fine. <laughs> I don't... I mean, you know, I, I know that you and I have played plenty of Street Fighter uh, and you've gone, you know, I, I go through a variety of male characters, usually settle on Guy. Um, I know that you typically, pl uh, you like to play, um, oh my God, Chun-Li. Yeah, uh, her, so, her legs are powerful, and uh, and I appreciate that about her. And let's be honest, she's she's uh, modest in the upper chest region, and there's nothing wrong with that. Still a beautiful human. 
Yeah, sure. Well, either way, um, it's, I find it's funny that fans were disappointed with that that Tifa's boobs were reduced. <laughs> I think that I think it's a funny thing to, to laugh about. I'm curious though because there's the only point that, that there is to be made here is that if there's genuinely a concern about the size of of the chest and its relation to an ESRB rating, I think we probably need to look at you know. Is that really something that's relevant? There's a difference between like overly sexualizing something and making it explicit and just like, you know, dealing with larger or smaller. You know what I'm saying? Well, the world's starting to get really weird, and here's how I know Sony is ratcheting down uh, the same folks that Dead, uh, Dead or Alive came from, ratcheting down um, the, the breast presence, whereas Nintendo is uh, actually giving like, for their third party titles, giving uh, open season on. Uh, uh, on uh, boobs of all kinds. Uh, suddenly, right. you can receive breasts on your Nintendo Switch, and Sony's like, slow down. So, where are we? Like, what's happening? Nothing yeah, makes sense, I Andy. I love the corporate I statement know. that came out of this bad boy. Uh, it's uh, I love the tiptoeing. In this case, we want a generation of gamers to experience Final Fantasy VII uh, remake, and we're working very closely with the company's internal experts to make sure all the game's content is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, man, you know what? It's the kind of statement you make when, you know, things are a little murky and you got to figure it all out. So hopefully they figure it all out. I mean, I, this, this, is, this is a non-issue for me. It's just it's a funny topic, you know? Yeah, maybe your breasts would have tipped the scales of that ESRB rating into an M. It's possible. I really hope not. I really hope <laughs> not. That's, that's just crazy. Um, oh, T for teen. T for teen. Keep it. Oh, there you, there you went. There you went. Okay, well, just before we wrap up here, a uh, 2,500-year-old series of bongs were found in China at an ancient burial site uh, from Leafly, this article. Um, wooden braziers in the, and I want to say this properly, I think my my weeks of, <laughs> of learning Mandarin will help. The Jirzankal, that wasn't very Mandarin. Nailed it. Nailed it. The Jirzankal Cemetery. Uh, is an ancient burial site that dates to approximately 1500 BCE per Leafly, as I said previously. Um, I think there were about a dozen of these. They almost look like they were carved out of logs kind of deal. They look like clay, and clay composites. I think they're, they think they're wood. One oh, second. they are wooden. All right. Yeah, you they're, they're wooden. Yep. They're Advantage, wooden. Andy. And, uh, you know, the supposed use was that you know, a dozen people would sit around one of these wooden urns and smoke some weed together uh, at, at this funeral site, presumably to either celebrate or do some sort of ritual um, related to the passing of a loved one. To open the experience of the soul to accept the passing of one's loved one, uh, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, well, I you know that's that seems reasonable to me. I'm not sure that it's the it's the answer, but um, but it's cool. It's cool to know that you know an ancient our ancestors in ancient China is that wrong to say? I feel like it may someone's be, ancestors. I'm tr- I'm trying to be like I try to be like inclusive. So inclusive. Like, yeah, so you know, inclusive. Hey, we get all these degrees you know, of separation. Not yeah. Us not them. Not us not. But like maybe it is offensive to say that I've got Chinese ancestors. Who knows? Maybe I don't. Maybe that's not a thing. We need to do a little bit of research. Stop. If I wait, will this stop? <laughs> uh, Andy, how do they know it? They were bongs. Is it the presence of Twinkie dust, or it's yeah, the presence of CBN 
Uh, the residue inside uh, the vessels was CBN, and that is the end, I quote leafly one more time, oxidative metabolite of THC. In other words, what's left over after THC combusts. Yeah, I think they, this is cool, man. They did some enzymatic uh, testing. And, I mean, let's be clear. Uh, there's, like, a long history of burning things in rituals. Uh, a lot of the uh, rainforest shamans would use tobacco, uh, so it's like there's a long history of burning stuff in, in connection with these type of things. And it's pretty cool that, um, you know, we can place cannabis and humans uh, that, that together that far back. That's it, man. Smoking weed from the Stone Age. Boom. Anywho, let's bring this ship in for a docking. Listener questions or games you want us to play. Hit us up at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Dan, have you checked that email in any time recently? Oh, yeah. There's some stuff in there, buddy. <laughs> Take a peek. I just 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 while we're live here, just before we go any further, because I I'm curious. I think we've checked this quite a few times uh, over over the past few months, but the last two weeks, oh boy, there's some stuff in there, bud. We're, you and I, you and I have to do a perusing. And while we're doing that, please do us a favor and recommend this to a friend, or don't. But we'll know. Okay, Christopher writes in. Christopher writes in, wrap yourself, oh, wrap yourself up in a personalized blanket. That's a marketing email. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Chris. All Thank right. you. Thanks, Chris. All right. Well, uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time. My friends, please keep it dank. Fuck, I am high.